Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about working with fiber in its many forms within ourselves and our wider community. You're listening to episode 34, and this week I spoke to two dear friends of mine, Abby Rich and Sam Eyes. In a slightly different approach than I usually have, Sam, Abby, and I recorded this chat in person, sitting on the floor in my old house in Hobart. Because of the format of this chat and the fact that we have a well-established friendship, this chat developed differently to the usual podcast. We talk about tattooing and how both Abby and Sam have used stick and pokes to process life and friendship, and how tattooing a mate is such a permanent act. This, in juxtaposition to both of their clothes-making practices, which feels more transient, and ultimately is more transient in this world of fast fashion that we all ultimately live in. Sam and Abby both talk us through their practices with clothes making and how they've grown and changed their businesses over the last few years, as well as the compromises this requires of them. We discuss sustainability from many levels, for the planet, our immediate communities, and ourselves, as well as communities not physically proximate to us. Having this conversation with Abby and Sam meant so much to me, and honestly, getting to come back to it over the last couple of weeks to edit it has felt really healing as I personally transitioned my life from Tasmania to California. I cannot thank Sam and Abby enough for their ongoing friendship and for being willing to share this conversation with me the week before I left Tassie. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks for tuning in. A huge thank you to this week's episode sponsor, Sincere Sheep. Sincere Sheep is run by Brooke, who I had the pleasure of walking around Lake Merritt with recently, where we talked about all things wool and community. Brooke is deeply connected to her work, and it shows in everything that she does, most obviously in Sincere Sheep. Started in 2003, Sincere Sheep was founded on principles translated from the slow food movement, a concept that was gaining regional momentum. Brooke applied ideas of traditional and regionally sourced ingredients to textiles to create her offering with Sincere Sheep. Their primary focus remains single-source, breed-specific, and custom-made yarns and fibers dyed with color extracted from responsibly sourced plants, and occasionally from insects. Until the 31st of December 2017, you can sign up for Sincere Sheep's Made Here 2018 Quarterly Club. Made Here is a special quarterly yarn club featuring domestic and small-batch yarns and custom-made goodies, thoughtfully designed and packaged for minimal environmental impact. Made Here is designed to offer exclusive and amazing U.S.-made custom products. Three of next year's 2018 Made Here yarns are sourced from California. This unique yarn club experience will deepen your understanding of where the fiber originates and the people who grow the products, as well as the dyes used in making the colors that you receive. Along with all that, Sincere Sheep has teamed up with talented friends to create custom goodies and provide pattern codes for each shipment. Whenever possible, they source products here in the U.S. to support independent small businesses. You can find the Made Here 2018 listing on www.sincereSheep.com and on Instagram at SincereSheep. Thanks again to Brooke at Sincere Sheep for sponsoring this episode of the Close Knit Podcast. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I am here in a room in person with Abby Rich and Samantha Ives. Hey. Oh, full name. I just pulled out your full name. Yeah. Sam Ives. Sorry, Sam <laughs> Ives. Let's start again. <laughs> it was cute. <laughs> was it though? I feel like I just did something you didn't want me to do. <laughs> I feel really weird when people call me Samantha. Okay. 
Okay, I'm sorry. No, 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 no it's okay. It's more just... Is it like you get you're in trouble? Yeah. Just, yeah. No one ever but calls you Anna Sophie. Yeah. Unless, like, actually, I always say that, like, no one calls me Anna Sophie unless, like, I'm in trouble or they're trying to express, like, deep and meaningful love to me. So it's very intense. Yeah. <laughs> Even if someone was trying to express deep and meaningful love and called me Samantha, I'd be like, why are you calling me <laughs> Please leave now. <laughs> Everyone assumes that I'm Abigail, even yeah. though I'm not. Are you just Abby? I yeah. wondered that when I called you Abigail this yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just Abby. And everyone's like, oh, when you're in trouble, you're Abigail. And I'm like, no, no, my name is Abby. That's, yep, that's my name. Born with that name. Uh-huh. No one calls me Abigail because not my name. Yep. I like that. I like when people have names that are, like, traditionally, quote-unquote, mm. nicknames for other names, but that's just their name. Mm. Mm. My mom is one of those. Who is she? Shelly. Which oh, is short yeah. Michelle, usually. Mm-hmm. That's my middle name. Michelle. Is it? Michelle. Worst. Michelle. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. boring. <laughs> it's so not me. Did your parents give you a middle name that was like, like, I feel like some of my friends who have like more unusual names like had some middle name that they were given that was like really, like, Anglo <laughs> in the mm. middle. That's like, oh, in case you don't like this other name we gave you, you can be Elizabeth. Exactly. Yeah. We can, you can be something more, quote, normal. And they're like, no, I actually love my unique name. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Mm. Yeah. My middle name is Christina, and it's Whoa. spelled C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A because my parents didn't want the word Christ to be in my middle Christ. name. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Intense. My middle name is just my mom's last name, which is Martyr, but not... M-A-R-T-Y-R. Or D-E-R. No, oh. Not religious in any way. Martyr like larder, not... <laughs> yeah. Larger. Yeah, I feel like I always have to say that. But yeah, I don't have a name, middle name. Oh. Cool. This conversation got derailed, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of feel like that's just what's going to happen. So just to preface Sick. for, like, the listeners... Um, Abby and Sam and I are all hanging out in a room together in Hobart, and... Uh, we, we talk a lot as friends and generally speaking, like I've spoken to people for the podcast, maybe before, maybe on the internet or like I have some sense of what they do. I've like Googled their work, but like I've been hanging out with Sam and Abby and we've sort of talked about all the things. So I'm like quite nervous about turning this into something that people actually want to listen to. Rather than us just talking about shit. Yeah, just be like giggling. about Tinder. I mean, I'm definitely okay with that happening. But I am going to start by like asking a real question and just seeing where it goes. Um, Abby, can you tell me about what it is that you do currently? I do a lot of different things, I guess. Um, I'm mostly known for being a clothing designer and I have a small clothing label, but, um, I'm a screen printer and a painter and now a stick and poker and (laughs) a mural artist and do I do anything else? Probably. Needs of things. Yeah. Lots of things. You want to be a house painter? I want to be a... Oh, yeah. That's what I really want to do now. Just be a house (laughs) painter and paint white walls. It's fucking fun. Um, Yeah. So I do all those things. I started in a textile background. Yeah. And just kind of gone from there. Yeah. When I release the episode, I'm going to, like, come back and edit in whether you're now painting houses. (laughs) (laughs) I really hope so. 
five months later. Yeah. Abby's <laughs> now painting houses full time. Full time. She quit everything else. Yeah. I was also going to say, how many stick and pokes do you have to do before you qualify yourself as a stick and poker? Mm. Question. I don't know. Well, I did five in one day yesterday, so surely that counts. Yeah. yeah. That was my leading question to get you to say yeah. that you did five yesterday. That's my most that I've done in a day. It counts. How yeah. many have you given yourself? On my body? Mm. I did one when I was like 17 or something, maybe. Really? Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah, this little pair of scissors on my wrist. Oh, that's the one. Okay, yeah. 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 I did that on myself. Um, and then I did one angrily on my leg the other day Oof. in the middle of an argument. Oh. I was like yelling on the phone for a bit and then I tattooed myself. And um, I shouldn't have done that because I got bored. Mm. And then like I cannot commit to doing one on myself because on someone else you've got to finish it. But by, like, three quarters of the way through, I'm like, nah, I'm dead and I'm bored. And I can come back to that on myself. Yeah. Which I probably never will. And I've got this, like, chunky little one. Do you? Yeah, on my leg. Like a half-done one. Yeah, half-done. Yeah. yeah. And then the next day we went swimming and you're like, yeah, I we probably shouldn't do this. Pool. <laughs> Maybe it was a way for me to try and get some of the ink out so that it could yeah. just disappear. Just but I think It's like when I did this one on my wrist when I was a kid and I tried to scrub it Mm. off the next day. No, that night. I was like, what have I done? I did that when I had a friend, like, drunkenly start to... She barely did anything, but, like, on my finger, Mm. started to poke. And she was drunk and fell asleep, like, two seconds after. I told her she had to stop. And I also was like, okay, you can come off. You're going to come off. You're on my finger. You're totally coming off right now. Is it off? There's... You can barely see any of it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like... Ten really faded dots. <laughs> Sam, when did you get your first tattoo? I was 18. Mm-hmm. I had the flu. <laughs> oh, boy. I, like, had been planning it probably for six months or something and made an appointment at this place, and my sister came with me. And I had the flu, and I was totally pretending I was just so chill, but I was actually on a lot of medication. <laughs> um yeah, it's like a teeny tiny little baby on my foot that I drew, and I was so certain it would be my only one. And then a lot of years later, almost 10 years later, I probably have almost 20. Yeah, and you did a stick and poke on yourself. I've done three stick and pokes on myself. Mm. Actually, the first the first day I was doing stick and pokes, probably like a little over a year ago, uh, I probably gave five or six, because I gave myself two, mm. I gave my friend two. And then I gave my friend this really terrible one under her boob that I feel awful about. Because it's like, she thought I was going to be good at it because I draw. Mm. It's totally blown out. And like... <laughs> oh no. What was it? It was a tiny little flower. Mm. A little flower under her boob. And like, thankfully she has big boobs. So it's not something it's that it's like it can up. be pretty hidden. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if they could tag you over time, it'll be fun. Yeah, <laughs> it'll basically it go away. <laughs> exactly. I felt so bad. She was like, I love that it's blown out. Like, you're lying right to my face right now. You're telling me you love it, and I feel awful about it. <laughs> I have an underboob tattoo of a love heart, and I literally, as it was being done, I was like, one day when I'm like breastfeeding my children or like when they get older, my boobs are heaps saggy and they're just sagging over this heart. My kids are going to like push it out of the way and be like, there's mom's heart. <laughs> well, that's what I think about. That's like such a thought. I feel like I don't have as much 
thought going into tattoos anymore. Mm. Like, now that I have a lot, it's like, oh, I like that thing. Yeah. 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 Like the ones we did on each other. Yeah. And we yeah. just decided immediately yeah. that that's what we were going to do. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you came over. We were, you were, had to go do something. Oh, you were going to go bring the van back to your parents' house. And then it's just like, oh, no, let's go, like, give each other tattoos today. Cool. That's our plan. Done. Yes. I feel like that's been happening for me, too. Like... I didn't, I don't, I made more split decisions with tattoos. And I think once I got that love heart one, which was just like a, someone being like, hey, do you, I want to give you a tattoo. And me being like, yeah, cool. I want to do that too. Uh, He's like, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, I saw you have love hearts on your fingers and I liked those, but I think I want one on my under boob. (laughs) And then since then it's just been like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Actually, interesting thing about uh, tat, like, stick and poke, tattoos, mental health. Curious question for you both, which is about like pain and self-harm and the ways in which we sort of categorize certain forms of self-harm as like okay and not okay. Like I've had a few conversations with friends of mine who have heaps of tattoos that they've done themselves. And for them that sometimes is like a form of managing their feelings. Totally. Do you, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm just curious if you guys have thought about this. I've definitely thought about the pain of it. I guess I don't really think of tattoos as self-harm mm. because it's such an addition to my body mm. and oftentimes it's someone else's art or it's my art or I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't feel like self-harm, but the pain of it I do genuinely enjoy and I say this sort of a lot. It is a way to, like, locate the pain. Sometimes when you have emotional pain, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, like, it's that kind of pain that goes away so quick. Mm. Like, piercings are so painful. Mm. Why are they so painful? But tattoos, it's, like, that sting that feels numbing and good. And, and I think, like, the tattoo that I gave myself the other day was literally me being, like, I'm not in a good place right now, and I'm going to do this thing. And, like, at the time, I probably didn't really think that's what I was doing. But now looking at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, that's totally what I was doing. That it was, like, I am doing something cathartic, like, making art, which I really enjoy. But I'm also, like, doing something pretty serious at the same time. And Mm. I'm like, yeah. Permanently altering your body. (laughs) Which is real weird. And it's like, I don't know, but I like that about tattoos, that they're permanent reminders of things. Mm. And, like, people say, like, you know, when you get, like, your first tattoo and, like, someone older will be like, oh, you're so going to regret that later. Mm -hmm. I have tattoos that I don't love, Mm. but they're from a time and a place in my life where I'm like, oh, that's who I was then and I'm not that person now and I don't enjoy those things. But it's a marker and it's, like, every little bit that I add to my body is some little reminder of who I was at that point in time. And I think that's really beautiful. Mm. And it's, like, even if I'm in pain emotionally... And I've done this thing now. I'm like, no, that's from a time when I was trying to work through something and yada, yada, yada. And I think that's really lovely about tattooing and doing stuff like that is that it's, yeah, it's kind of like a really beautiful, strange process. Mm. Yeah. So many of my friends have tattoos. Probably the vast majority have tattoos. Mm. Yeah. And it's art. It's so cool that we get to alter our body with art. Totally. And yeah, yeah, I don't regret any of them. I totally have stupid ones, like the one on my butt. But I don't regret it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny. Sometimes I look at it and I laugh. Yeah. It is a reminder of life. 
exactly. and where you were in that moment and who you were in that moment. And for us to be able to tattoo each other and stuff too and so to special. be like, oh, you're leaving mm. and now you've got this like thing on your body that I did that is like a constant reminder of that and I've found that really exceptionally beautiful lately that all the people that are real close in my life I've tattooed and mm. it's like, whoa, you're walking around with something that I did and something that's come from my brain and my hands, and mm, yeah. I got to sit there, and, like, it's real intimate, like, it's like you're holding on to someone, and you're putting something on them forever, mm. and that is just so beautiful, and I can't get over that, even people that I don't know that I'm, like, whoa, oh, this is so yeah. sweet. Yeah, it's so much more permanent than clothes making, mm. like, as practices that we both do, like, yeah, it is a... It is a permanent thing on someone's body. And it sounds kind of arrogant, right? No, but yet, like, we live in a world in which clothing, sadly, is very disposable. Yeah. Yeah, but skin is not. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, that's why I started making clothing also is because, like, you can have a piece of art on your wall in your house, but it's very insular and, like, not everyone gets to see it. But clothing. Yeah. It's a vehicle for discussion and it's a way to, like, yes. explain yeah, what totally. you're feeling and you're thinking. Yeah. And it walks around in the world and people decide to wear it on their body. Yeah. And that's real cool, but then tattooing is a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, yeah. It may be a flippant momentary thing that you're like, yeah, cool, I want to get through that. But um, it's also, like, you do think about it more seriously, I think, than... Yeah. And a piece of clothing that you might get rid of in a couple of years. Yeah. 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 Um, Sam, can you tell us about your kind of clothes-making practice and a bit about Maker and Mineral? Yes. Uh, so I run a label, I guess. I never really say that. Called Maker and Mineral. Yeah. Um, I print and sew everything myself so far. Um was out of San Francisco, but I just moved to Australia. Woo! <laughs> um, yeah, and it's kind of like, it is about being a person who, like, wants to dress a little bit crazy, but at the same time be comfortable. So I make a lot of linen things that are loose um, and can be worn all seasons. Um, yeah, that is my, like, prominent or predominant uh job Mm. I do also stick and poke but not as much (laughs) not I haven't done five in a day recently yeah (laughs) as the as the now uh, the quota you need to fulfill yeah Yeah. that's how you do it yeah (laughs) um I have made some jewelry before oh yeah I didn't realize that yeah cool earrings sometimes yeah but yeah it it was like maker mineral used to be all about sustainable design and it still really is Mm. but sadly like the fabric is so expensive and people won't spend the money I find for like all the labor that goes into it eventually I would like to move back to being like 100% sustainable and eco-friendly but because I am making things myself I find that I can have very little waste Mm. which I like Mm. a lot and that the waste can go back into something else when you were because I've read your website <laughs> uh, before I, before we hung out in Sydney, I was like reading your website because awesome. this is what I do because <laughs> I'm interested in people who are interested in textiles. Um, I think I was like reading about you sourcing stuff from like um, yeah. not necessarily reverse not it's not called reverse garbage the um, scrap. yeah can you tell me about that? 
Yeah, when yeah. I first started Maker and Mineral, uh, I guess it was probably about three years ago, but it it has changed a lot. Yeah. So what it has become is more recent. But um, Scrap is a creative reuse center in San Francisco that has just tons and tons and tons of fabric. Yeah. So I'd go there once a week, pick out sometimes bolts of fabric, sometimes just pieces that were, you know, a yard by a yard or mm. a meter. <laughs> um and yeah, I would just kind of come up with whatever came from that. Yeah. Or like create the same patterns just with the different fabric. Mm. And I was also using like stamp pads and ink I found from there. It was almost zippers, almost everything was coming from there at a point. Cool. So cool. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I grew out of that because yeah. it's impossible to make the same thing yeah. twice. Yeah. Or I did have this one fabric that lasted me probably like twenty or twenty five shirts. And then when it was gone, I had people asking for them. Mm. I was like, who can do? They're gone now, forever. Did, were you Sorry. able to, like, source natural fibers frequently there? Yes and no. Mm. Um, I was almost always just searching for linen and cotton. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't know totally if something else was blended in. True, true, true. Like, yeah. I did find some beautiful linen, but could never find the quantity I really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a ton of fabric there. There's so much fabric. Yeah, wow. So it is really just taking the time to search through it. Yeah. And find the good stuff. Yeah. That's so cool. So then it kind of like changed from you sourcing to scrap, from scrap to what happened after that? Um, after that, I was sourcing from a place um, that only sold dead stock. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. And now, again, I've switched away because I need larger quantities, but... Mm. Um, which is not a bad thing. It's yeah. just harder to find stuff that I feel good about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a place in San Francisco that only sells dead stock often from large LA factories. Yeah, okay. So, again, most of the time you can't find the same thing twice, mm. but you can buy larger quantities up, up front because mm. it's what they have. And then more recently, sourcing from a place in LA, but they get their, I mean, they're like not very open about where they're getting their fabric. Mm. So. Mm. Don't feel so great about that. Well, I feel so. The thing I would, yeah, I would guess I would pose to the group is um, about sustainability in like the sense that, like, you're saying I outgrew that, so like mm. you couldn't necessarily focus as much on like the environmental impact, but like also it's providing like a sustainable, like, it's just the way in which we talk about sustainability. It's like yeah. providing sustainable income for you to be able to then focus on how you could grow it. So that you can start to put those yeah. things into place. Do you think both of you could talk to me about that? Like how you run it for yourselves and Yeah. Yeah. I don't run it sustainably for myself at all. Yeah. Uh, my business does not make me any money. Yeah. As a clothing label. I get nothing out of it apart from being able to create a platform for me to do other work. Yeah. Um, and to do my artwork and to talk about sustainability and ethics and stuff like that. Sustainability as an um, environmental thing doesn't really exist in clothing, I don't think. You can't have that. Um, it doesn't go hand in hand because clothing and the way that we consume it is not sustainable and I don't think ever will be. Mm. And I think that's the hardest bit for me is me wanting with all my heart to be able to create a garment that is from start to finish better than if it hadn't existed. And I can't do that. Mm. And I want to be able to create garments now that are made from entirely one fibre. So your thread and your 
actual fabric yeah. and any trims so that they can then be recycled. Yeah. Because we talk a lot about making garments that will last a long time, mm. but we can't think like that because, yeah, people will keep a garment for a long time and you'll put it into a like a second-hand store and someone will buy it again and whatever, but there comes a point where it will wear down and it will have to go somewhere and a lot of it gets dumped and a lot of it goes into landfill mm-hmm. and a lot of it destroys the earth. And so if you can find a way to create garments that can be fully recycled... I think that's the way to go. But, yeah, I don't know. I find it really difficult and it it hurts a lot, I think, to be part of the fashion industry. And I don't know what the answer is. And I don't, yeah, I don't, it doesn't sit comfortably with me at all. And I use, like, all my zips come from a bunch of stuff that I got given from Obis. Mm. And my fabric is organic and... Uh, it's made in-house, so I know who's working on it. But even that, I'm providing work for one person. Mm. And I'm taking... We talk a lot about um, ethics and taking work out of factories in Bangladesh that will collapse. Mm. But that's not the answer mm. either. We need to keep work in countries like Bangladesh that have existed on fashion for years. Mm instead of taking work away from that because it's too hard. Mm. We need to be creating a world that, you know, that people can live off that and it can be better. Mm. But I can't afford to do that because I can't afford to pay myself out of it. I can only afford to pay the person that's working for me. And, yeah, it does provide me a platform to then make art and people buy that and I can live off doing murals and tattoos and all those kind of things. Mm. But making clothing label that's handmade that is ethical in, and sustainable mm. in any way that it can be, it doesn't work. You mm. can't make money off it. There's no way. No. Mm. And it's shit, and I don't, I don't know what the answer is. And so doing things like Fashion Week and being a part of it allows me to talk about that. And I don't want to be a part of it because there's so much shit that happens and so much waste. But I can talk about my point of view, and I can try and have a say in it. And hopefully, I don't know, we're getting closer to being, doing things better, but it's kind of a bit of a fad and it's kind of like, cool, we're going to talk about all this shit, but nothing seems to be changing. Mm. And that's the hardest part. Mm. And I just, yeah, I'm constantly in this battle in my own head of, I want to step away from it, I don't want to do it. But in the end, it's the only way anything's going to change if there's people that we can, yeah, we can talk about these things and try and figure out a better way to do it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the sad fact right now is that most people don't care. Mm. Yeah. And, like, getting people to care is really hard. Whenever I do events, I do talk about, you know, creating little waste and, and wanting people to love something for a long time and creating something that hopefully they can carry with them, mm-hmm. you know, carry with them, pass on, like, not just throw into the garbage and creating something that they'll then like associate meaning with and talking about it yeah it's great but again like doesn't mean anything changes there are so many people not shopping with us Mm. who are gonna keep shopping at stores where things are made in factories and people die in Mm. fires and there's such a disconnect sadly between our current fashion world and what people should really be doing for clothing like in general, we, we create so much waste. Yeah. And 
yeah, textiles, clothing in general are it's one of the worst. Huge yeah. part of it. Yeah, Isn't it and the like second dye. biggest polluter after yeah. like fossil fuels. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, like dyes stain entire rivers, and yeah. like there are so many chemical processes involved in textiles. But then textiles also have this huge rich history, and it's mm. not like something we can change mm-hmm. or would want to change. Yeah. It's just about making people feel more connected. Yeah. Well, it's about doing things differently because things do exist for a long period of time, but that doesn't mean that it's right either. It doesn't doesn't mean we should be dying. Because fabric dyes started out using natural things, like using leaves and and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's impossible to do on a huge scale, totally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just all of those things that we need to be doing differently and we need to start valuing clothes differently. And it is about putting people like us in situations that allow us to talk to other people and allow us to be able to kind of spread that a little bit, which is real nice, and you want to be able to do that. But, yeah, there's always going to be people that that don't take that in. And still, I have people in my life, like, from high school and stuff that I'll talk to, and they're like, oh, yeah, I just went to, like, this shopping centre and I bought, like, 20 things for, like, 100 bucks. Mm. Like, no, that's, mm, yeah. that breaks my heart. And, I mean, I'm guilty. I have a huge wardrobe. Mm. Like, I'm guilty of buying clothes that I don't need, totally. Because mm. that's how we've been raised and that's how we do things. But now I won't buy things that are, like, I'm not going to make, sac- like, I'm not going to make compromises on stuff like that mm. when it's, like, you know, that you could do something better. Yeah. I sometimes feel like how I explain my like dedication to the clothing side of things versus maybe like my lack of dedication in some other areas of my life is that like food, like a lot of people think this way about food, right? Like they're really conscious of like what they're eating and organic makes sense and they get local and that all just clicks. People have clicked on that already. For me, food is like, for lack of a better word, triggering, like because I had problems with food in the past or I have problems with like my gut have anxiety riding like sorry existing in my gut and then having trouble with eating so for me thinking about food and um the impact that it has on the environment and whether I should be vegan or this or that like is too much for me to do anything I get caught up in the Mm -hmm. specifics of like I'm doing everything wrong and now I'm not eating therefore I can't do anything so food for me has left this has basically left this section of my brain of like, is it conscious? Is it like ethical? I do my best, but like, it's not my focus, but like clothing myself, hanging out with other people who like clothing themselves, talking to people who make their own clothes, making stuff like sits in this really inherent place of joy for me. Mm. And so it's like, I've just chosen the thing that I really want to focus on And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with being like, yeah, I'm going to spend the time to, like, research who's making this and how it's been done and, like, make it myself. And that's just been, like, my focus. Mm. And I know we can't expect everyone to do that, but it gives me hope when I, like, talk to you guys and I talk to other people who... I mean, it's like we're speaking the same language. Like, immediately Mm. we already know the the stats about, like, yeah, it's super polluting and, like, we already know all these things about it, about, like rivers being dyed entire colors and the Bangladesh fire like I don't feel I feel like because of fashion revolution a lot more people know about that yeah but like generally speaking if you're talking in just like larger spheres of people outside of textiles people don't know yeah and they wouldn't think to be like oh I'm thinking about like whether I'm eating dairy or this or that but I didn't think about like 
the cotton that like is in my jeans and where that came from and the fact that it was dyed with these harsh chemicals and that like mm. if the fiber content is different it's actually not it doesn't won't break down or it yeah. like you can't recycle it because we still don't have technology actually question mm. for the group um I remember a while ago my friends said she thought that uh, a friend of hers had like figured out a way to recycle um fabric that was different fiber contents and then she was like wait 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 I got that wrong they actually are only able to like recycle 100% cotton garments like we've we've been able to like break that entirely down and then recycle and turn it into other things but I feel like there's been really recent work in this in San Francisco Mm. all textiles can go in recycling yeah, wow. What they do with it, I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. There's a process called ragging when you're, like, yeah. breaking it down yep, again. Yeah, I've heard of that. Like, I do think it can become something. Probably yeah. can't start again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it just all... becomes, like, an, not a blend, like, right? Like, right. Yeah. I think it's it blended. Still... Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. And it just so becomes, it can... like, a mash of a lot of different things. Yeah. yeah. I, for, for a very, very, very long time, I was keeping all of my scraps. Yeah. And turning them into pillow stuffing. Yeah, yeah, I've done that too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like kind of a lumpy pillow, but whatever. Yeah. It still works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and like one time I like tossed it in the recycling and I was feeling really bad about it. And then I did so much research. And mm. It is totally recyclable. So there is something that can happen. Yeah. But I think it uses like a shitload of chemicals mm. and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Like I don't think, I think there's like some burning involved, which will let off a lot of pollutants and stuff yeah. like that. I think mm. that it's like... Mm. Still in its early stages. Don't quote me on this. Like, mm. I don't know a lot. But right. just from, like, the yeah. lowest bids that I've had, I don't think it's that great. Right. Well, it's like, I remember being at Berkeley and taking some environmental class that was like, you're, so the plastic water bottle that you're drinking out of, like, when you go to recycle that down in Berkeley, like, recycling, that gets on a ship and it goes to China and then it's downcycled. So instead of being recycled in the way that we're told that like this is going to be turned into another bottle, like mm-hmm. it gets downcycled into lower grade plastics, which generally just end up in like kids' toys that are going to be thrown away. And so Whoa. I think once I heard that, oh, I was like, God. oh my gosh. Yeah. But it's a little bit like that, I guess. Like ragging yeah, I mean, turns you know, it into a lower grade right, fabric. Right, you know, right. I do feel like in the Bay Area, we've been fed a lot of hope. Sure. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. It's not always true. But totally. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Mm. I, yeah. I, I find doing fairs and events that people will say that something is too expensive when mm. they would spend that much on something else. Like, they would spend, yeah. they'd spend as much as one outfit costs that's been made by someone's hands and been made in a thoughtful way as they would spend on one meal. Yeah. And for me, that feels so like what, what makes us think that our clothes and our textile should have less value than Mm. a meal Mm. or than, you know, uh, an event or Mm. a flight. Yeah. Because people want to wear new stuff every single day. They don't want to be caught wearing the same outfit, which is bizarre. Yeah. But even then, like, you can have a certain number of outfits yeah. and just love and wear them and, like, respect them. Yeah. yeah. All the time. You don't need those $5 things. No. Yeah. It's like yeah. this dress I think I've worn, like, I've only had it a couple of months and I've worn it at least a hundred, like, yeah. literally different ways. Yeah. Of, like, yeah. <laughs> When I was back home, I kept 
basically saying that I was just going to make myself seven jumpsuits and that mm. was going to be my uniform forever. Mm-hmm. I like, love the idea of a uniform. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, they could all be different. They could have yeah. different patterns. They could be different colors. But I, yeah. it's one garment, one piece. I want to wear it every day. I can just get rid of everything else. But yeah. then the getting rid of everything else, I felt Bad terrible. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Such a vicious cycle. Yeah, there was a really excellent article that was, like, critiquing the Mari Kondo thing. They were like, cool, so you've simplified your life. But, like, you just, th- you yeah. just got rid of, oh, that yeah, yeah. didn't created, give you joy. Yeah, this doesn't, quote, <laughs> spark joy, so you just created heaps of waste. Yeah. yeah. Cool, well done. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it's, like, I mean, maybe the point that we get to with it is, like, we've got, we all have to do that purge to begin mm. with, which is shit. But then once we get past that, are we then at a point where we're in a place to then have our uniform? This, my thing about mm. the uniform is, like, I generally feel pretty good about this. And I feel like in the last year, I've made a point of, like, only buying things that I'm really stoked on, that I've taken time to think about and made sure that they're colors that, like, fit within my already existing wardrobe. But then occasionally I have these moments of like, my wardrobe is so feminine and I really want to be tomboy right now. And then I don't know how to like, I don't know how like different expressions of my personality and like my gender come out in my clothing when I only have what like what looks like very femme clothing. And like, interesting. A, a like person said to me, they were like, you you seem really feminine to me. And I like took offense to that because I was like, no, I'm not. And like, again, internalized misogyny of like, <laughs> why did I get offended? But also mm. just like occasionally being stuck in this place of like cool 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 I feel really good about my style I feel like I'm on my trajectory to like want to be art teacher this is good I like this <laughs> want to be art teacher meets toddler fashion like <laughs> <laughs> classic um but then just like kind of like either that like not being certain that I'm gonna stick with that style or being like well shit like I'm going to have to get I'm going to get a job back in the bay area I don't know what like, I'm going to have to wear for this job. And I feel like more and more there's, like, that's not as big of a thing. Like, you don't mm. have to worry as much. But I really dislike the idea of having to have, like, multiple wardrobes for, like, scenarios. I don't know. I just don't know mm. how we get around well, it. For my, my restaurant job that yeah. I held for a long time, I did have work clothes. Yeah. It wasn't a uniform in any way, but I had you know, maybe five dresses that I only wore to work Mm. because I I didn't want to wear them in my outside life anymore. Mm. And they smelled like kimchi, which, you know, not a bad thing, but not a great thing either. (laughs) For state kimchi. You know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I did, I did have a separate wardrobe and it was, it's a weird thing to think about that those five dresses or whatever are things I would not want to wear in my day-to-day life. And Mm. what is that? And, Mm. um... I don't know. I mean, in moving here, I pared down so much, mm. and I'm I am getting over wearing the same thing every day. Yeah, and I don't. I'm fighting against it. Mm. Um, but even now, my like twenty, or maybe even less, fifteen outfits that I have. Mm. It's a lot of repetition. Yeah. See, I find some kind of power in that. Yeah. I get uh, happy like. Um, wearing my like high waisted jeans and a turtleneck is like my power outfit. It's like a I'm getting shit done, mm-hmm. and then this pink silk dress is like my I'm happy and I'm in the sun, and like <laughs> happy's on holiday. Yeah, and it's like I have really like maybe four outfits I think that I wear in most of my life, mm. 
And I had a period of time where I didn't get out of bed when I was sick the last couple of months. Yeah. And so I wore, um, like, the same, like, pajama kind of things all the time, like my friend's jumper and, like, some silky pants. And then my first day back in my studio and I pulled on my paint-covered Reeboks and my high-waisted jeans and my turtleneck and I was like, fuck, yes, like, this is what I'm about and this is how it makes me feel and it's really mm. good. And I'm starting to feel that, yeah, I don't really get a kick out of changing my outfits anymore. And I used to. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to really love wearing, like, these bright, bold, crazy things because it was my way of speaking. Mm. Whereas now, I feel like I've got a, um, I don't know, I like, I like just wearing the things that make me feel a certain way. And how, like, silk feels against my body. Mm. And how each fabric is different. And I think that's really cool. And now I want to get rid of all my stuff. But then I'm like, oh, no, I've got all this waste. And I don't know. And most of it is, like, a lot of, like, amazing vintage things that I could sell and people would get another life out of and stuff like that. So it's okay. Mm. But, yeah, it's interesting how we view our clothes and how I think I've done, like, a complete 180 on how they make me feel. That I'm like, yeah, cool. Like I just want to wear the same thing over and over again because I know that this is how it makes me feel. Mm. Yeah. And, like, this is my painting walls outfit, and this is my sitting in the studio, and this is, yeah. Mm. I love that. Mm. I think it's real cool. <laughs> so just have different different outfits for a different feeling. Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, I don't work a normal job, so it's, like, right. yeah. not it. Yeah, thing. flexibility yeah. to do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it comes from, yeah. I brought none of those five work dresses with me yeah. when I moved. Yeah. And I thought about it. Yeah. Like, oh, what if I do get another restaurant job? Do I want those five outfits? Yeah but I would never wear them otherwise, so I have to think about that. Mm. Yeah. I kind of like being predictable. Like, I feel like my friends here kind of all go like, oh, that's an Ani outfit, or like, I know Mm -hmm. I see you from a distance because you're, like, wearing that thing. And it's kind of nice to just, yeah, to almost be identifiable in that way. Like, oh, yeah, I am consistent in that. And, And I think for a long time I always, like, had good intentions of, like, getting to a place where my wardrobe felt really comfortable and good and, like, things worked together, but I still had those moments of, like, impulse purchasing or, like, seeing something on sale and being like, hey, love it, or being like, I'm Mm going to get this brightly, boldly patterned thing, which, like, just doesn't, just for me doesn't work. Like, it definitely Mm -hmm. works on other people, but I'm just, like, constantly, like neutral colors like oatmeal linish mm-hmm. um and to finally get to a place where I'm like I like all of this and it like mostly works together feels nice nice to be able to also just like layer differently that's yeah. been my biggest thing that's actually been a huge thing this year of like going into my closet and being like oh I'm so tired of everything I have and then being like wait a minute mm-hmm. could I layer this thing over this thing and suddenly I have like something that looks like a new dress because I layered a thing over a thing yeah feels really nice. Yeah, I always admire that in your dressing is like the mm. layering. Yeah. And how you can yeah, I don't know. It's very unique to you, I think. And it is very like uh I can't think of a better word than iconically Arnie. Um, <laughs> like yeah, it's just like yeah, it's very mm. it's very good. Yeah. Mm. I I mean I definitely have this I constantly describe my newer look as my Japanese dream look Mm. which is so based in layering and these boxy shapes that aren't necessarily flattering but at the same time they're cozy and they're comfortable and layered and you can kind of wear the same things in different formats yeah and that's what I like about the like jumpsuit thing is you could do in summer just like there's a jumpsuit and you don't 
have to wear anything over or under it necessarily. Mm. And then in winter, you're like, I'll put on a skivvy and a pair of like leggings and wool socks. And then I've got an outfit that like looks cool, but I'm basically wearing my merino pajamas. Yeah. 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 And it's all about how it makes you feel like I think that's the most important thing and how we could value clothing differently is how it makes us feel and how natural fibers feel against our bodies in comparison to synthetic totally. ones. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned since making clothes and being part of that industry is making sure that it feels good against your body above anything. Mm. And, like, aesthetics and whatever is so important because I come from a design background. Like, that's what I do. Yeah. But overall, how it feels against your skin and how it makes you feel as a person is the most important and a really beautiful thing you can do is like in making clothing and in purchasing it is is making you feel better about yourself and making it feel like it's keeping not just keeping you safe when you need it but also making you feel incredible mm. when you feel that way like mm. it's complementing how you're feeling and stuff like that is really cool mm. and really interesting yeah it always shocks me when people buy like things from Target or something that are poly blend and they're like, oh, I know I'm going to feel sweaty and make this yeah. thing stink so fast. I'm like, then why did you purchase that? Yeah, yeah, yeah That's yeah. not good. Like, you yeah. already are acknowledging its flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Why, like, why? Why perpetuate the system? Yeah. The poly thing is interesting because I feel like a lot of people try to talk about the merits of polyester and, like, the necessity of it in like sportswear and stuff but I've like the over the last year as well I've kind of tried to push the bounds of like what I do in my in my clothing like I Mm. did a really big like an eight-hour bushwalk up Mount Wellington in a dress like in my linen dress with my hiking boots on or whatever and kind of was like why do I feel like why do I feel like when I'm going for a bushwalk I have to like reach for my like lycra or whatever yeah. you know it's like I actually only own a couple pairs of lycra things and those are like I purely use those when I go running because yeah. like yes I'm sweating profusely and like I don't want to chafe between my legs but actually like linen as a fabric being this like super breathable beautiful thing and mm-hmm. hiking in a dress like yeah having this breeze being able to bush we very easily like it's yeah, really nice and like also, flax sort of, is such a cool like yeah. plant. Like, why is everything not just linen? Like, flax hemp is better. Everything <laughs> should be hemp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's a better hemp and flax together. Tell us more, Abby. What about hemp? Hemp requires way less water than any other fabric yeah. or any other fiber. Yeah. Um, by nature, it's organically grown. It doesn't need pesticides. There's no bugs that are eating it. Ooh, okay. And yeah, it's just. It's a strong fiber. It's the thing I was talking about actually with um, a new woman who's starting to work with me called Tim. She, um, we were trying to find how we could get thread to sew the garments with the hemp fabric, Mm. and apparently the fiber is is not long enough, Mm. and Mm. so you can't like spin it into like a really fine thread. Have a long stitch. Yeah, which is really interesting and Mm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which you're like fuck. What am I gonna do now? Yeah. But yeah, as a as a cloth, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And it takes dye really well and it's everything about it is brilliant. Yeah. And it's not like bamboo's really good, mm. but also needs extruding and like that process yeah. is not that great. Mm. Whereas hemp is just it it is what it is and it's great and it's um yeah, it's better for the environment and yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder if we have this, like, if we're too stuck in this idea that, like, hemp has to be, like, weird burlap sacks of the 90s. Exactly. That's what drives me insane. And even yeah. from my wholesalers and suppliers and stuff, the colors that they're dyeing them are just not great. Yeah. Because it's, like, yeah, people have this idea that it has to be, like, part of that aesthetic of... Hippie. Yeah. Yeah. When it doesn't need to be. Whereas, like, all my, all my collections have had hemp in them. Yeah. And it doesn't look that daggy, I don't think. I hope my clothing <laughs> ranges don't look daggy. No, not but, at all. And yeah. not hippie in that way. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine who works for, well, she used to work for Ethical Clothing Australia. She was oh, like yeah. one of the accreditors there. She wrote a piece in Intent Journal, I think, mm. about, um, just about, like, fast fashion and slow fashion. And she said something that I thought was really astute, which was, like, it's is not a direct quote. Don't mess it up. But she said, um, like, you can make something that's the most sustainable thing in the world, but if it's not beautiful, if someone doesn't love it and want it, it's not sustainable at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you just created a that's huge really pile good. of waste. Yeah. yeah. You know? No, it's true. Yeah. yeah. There, we, like, have to be able to find a, a some sort of common middle ground where mm-hmm. it's, like, it is both sustainable, it is beautiful, and then people understand, like, why they the need to love of it. their clothes. Yeah. 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 And, it, yeah. But yeah, and then the like the sustainability like for us as makers and mm-hmm. creators like that question too, because I do want to live off this. This is my chosen career path, and I have such passion for textiles and for the history involved. But I do need to be able to live off of it. Mm-hmm. I do need to be able to pay rent and buy myself food and survive. Yeah. And how do I do that in a world where people don't value? the cost of what it takes to make something in the best way possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's this unfortunate gap between, like, the people in the world who can afford to pay you this yeah. and the people who get it. Because I feel like we're yes. all on board, but, like, unfortunately, we don't have I probably have to trade you. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. right. I, have, you know? I say this all the time. I yeah. would never spend how much money I yeah. charge for my own clothes. Yeah. yeah. Like, I love being a creative person because yeah then I can trade mm. but people who are spending that kind of money are spending it on these high-end brands yeah. that are making things in terrible factories yeah. yeah like it makes me so sad to know that like Chanel Louis Vuitton these really really expensive could be leaders mm. because people listen mm-hmm. are making things terribly and there's also this misconception, I think, in some of the big brands that are doing things better. So I think like Ellery and people like that, that are making things in a more conscious way, mm. are deciding not to talk about it because they don't, mm. there's this idea that they don't want to seem like, like, um, like they think they're too good or whatever. And I totally respect that. But at this point in time, we need to be talking about it. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about my label either in this way that I'm like, oh, I'm doing something better. But at this point in time, we need to talk about it all that we can because they're the kind of people that have a bigger audience that can talk to more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why not celebrate that and say, this is what we're doing and this is why we need to do it mm. instead of keeping it to themselves and pretending like it doesn't matter mm. that, yeah, we're making a clothing label yeah, we're making better choices, but that's just what we need to do. And yes, I 100% agree, but fucking talk about it Mm. because otherwise nothing's going to change. And that's the thing that I think is getting us stuck in this hole Mm. 
is that when someone actually does make a better decision, they're not they're not talking it's like about something it. to be embarrassed about. Almost. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Wait, wait, it's not about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I get it because it shouldn't be about that because it should just be the way that it it's is. It's just the norm. And yeah. oh look, we make beautiful clothing. It's aesthetically pleasing. That's obviously the kind of the end game of clothing. People want to feel good and look good and whatever. Mm. But just talk about the other stuff at least for the next like ten years. Yeah. And then we can shut up about it and we'll yeah. hopefully we'll be living in a better world. Mm. <laughs> but then there's companies that like do try to do the right thing, like American Apparel, which then Yeah, it's got a whole another ball game. Yeah, with it that. like <laughs> yeah, it like gets caught up in this whole other situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I worked at American Apparel as a teenager. Yeah. And I felt like I constantly had to explain away the terrible things because they were doing great things and mm. it fell apart. And I did feel some pride in working there, but then there was all this other weird yeah. sexual stuff. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's, and that company failed. Like, yeah. it's proof that clothes can't really be made in America in that way. And that we can't be providing fair labor for people and giving them fair wages and giving them health care. Yeah. And being very, very upfront about, like, if you ever read an American Apparel label, it would be like, mm-hmm. Uh, fabric sourced from, sewed in, like, mm. sometimes even thread sourced from, dyed in. Like, it got That's really great. specific. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's gone now. Mm. <laughs> Although I do think there's, it's restarting. That's what I had to, yeah. yeah. But I don't, I don't know. In a different form, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know if it's going to be doing cool things like that anymore. But yeah, I just don't try the jeans. They fit me so well. It was, it, I will say, like, a funny thing about working there is that you acknowledge that being sewn in a factory where things are being made by people who aren't necessarily being tortured to be there, uh, everything was a different size. So when I bought pants back then, I tried on every single pair of my size, the size above and the size below mm. to find the one that fit the best. Mm. But again... That wasn't so bad. I found a pair that fit the best. Yeah. Yeah. But people would often come in and be like, why doesn't this fit me? It should fit me. And I'd be like, I'll go get you another one Mm because it might fit you better. It's being made in a way that's not everything is going to be exactly the same. And they're not going to throw away the ones that have flaws. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. And like the ones that did have flaws then got, you know, marked down and sold for cheaper instead of just throwing things away. Yeah. I feel like there's this whole misnomer about handmade because, like, everything is handmade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it gives this totally perception that, like, there's not people in developing yeah, countries that's totally exactly being it. tortured to, yeah. like, be there. Being it's locked like, in factory. Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's like a robot, essentially. It's like these things are just sewing themselves. It's like, well, no, no. Like, Every... yes, we are making things by hand, but they are too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it sort of removes that human element. I was talking to friend Caitlin and Sydney about this, and she was just like, I don't, I try not to say handmade yeah. about my stuff because everything is. Yeah. Like, so she's been trying to figure out how to differentiate it to still have the value, like still have the um, value add, basically, that saying the word handmade does, but mm-hmm. isn't that, isn't confusing people? But well, and then people use it in a way that's also, like, a lie. Like, yeah. you can just use handmade all the time to make something sound better. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it everything is handmade. But this one girl I knew was making leather products, and her card said, like, 
100% handmade in San Francisco, like hand cut. I don't know, whatever it said, like her products were not made by her. They were made by someone else in a different country. And yet Whoa. she was still taking credit for it. But wow. it's like ethical and sustainable and all of those words that are used around clothing. Buzzwords. Yeah. None yeah. of it is real. So meaningless. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of why I've like switched to using eco-conscious, which sounds really stupid. But conscious, using the word conscious in there. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, it's better. Right. And I've tried to do that too. That you can you yeah. can talk about consciousness. It's it's right. It's thoughtful. Yeah. Yes. Like Consider. I can't. I sadly can't be a hundred percent. All of the things that you want. I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't have zero waste. Yeah. That's that is a fact, and I hate it. But I, mm. I have tiny thread fibers and. Mm. I can't always make those, like, I can't keep up with making those pillows that are made of little bits of fabric, mm, but, yeah. but yeah, eco-conscious, being thoughtful, being someone who is open to talk about it, and yes. wants to talk about it, yes. and wants to create conversation, yeah. and I've tried to convince so many people that they need to be more thoughtful about clothing, and yeah. whether or not it's worked, I don't know. Yeah. But it's all just about talking about it, and that's, I think, why we do what we do, is so that it's a it's a platform to talk about it yeah. and to be able to call people out on it and call ourselves out on it and be like, hey, I'm not doing all the things that I want and I'm less. But by the same token, running a small label, you sometimes don't have time to do all the things that you want. And that's mm-hmm. why I've stepped back lately and I haven't thrown out another collection as quick as I have in the past mm. because I'm trying to do it better. Mm. But I only have that luxury because I'm working on 6,000 other things at the same time. But if the clothing label was what it is for you, Sam, that it is your, like, that's what you do as your income, Mm -hmm. you don't have that luxury. Like, you've got to make production and do that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. that takes time and that is real hard. And that's where Laura and I were back when we started. Mm. With like, you just have to keep pumping it up because production takes the longest so being able to step back from that and try and make other decisions and stuff is real hard, but it's also like I'm lucky that I've come to a point where I can do that and I can focus on the other stuff whilst I'm trying to put out a collection that's taking me like so far, like six months. Mm-hmm. And it'll probably keep taking me longer until I actually release it because I still haven't figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like we're hopefully transitioning to more of like slightly seasonless, like a lot more, I see a lot more small labels doing more like seasonless or at least just like two major seasons of like kind of being like, this is our warmer weather stuff. This is our colder weather stuff. Or like, we've gotten to a point where we've refined what it is that we want to produce. And it's like a capsule of like, these are the things that we're producing. Like Elizabeth Susan does that. Veggie Threads has started doing that recently. Like Amy has always been on the trajectory of that, but like she's got to a point now where she's like, I'm happy with my fabrics and suppliers and yada yada so that I can just have like pretty much year round. You can get your pants, your shirts, your like Merino skivvies and your yoga clothes or whatever. And like that kind of have not having to stick to like the calendar of like of fashion of like this is when you produce this is when this is when you produce that do you do you stick to like how have you how have you done that in the past um I because I'm doing it all myself can never stick to a timeline yeah so say I want to release a new item in for spring or whatever not even my clothes are very seasonless yeah um 
even if I want to, it's never going to happen like that. My goal is always around craft fairs or events that feel like a time to bring a new item in. Mm. Um, But I haven't really gotten rid of stuff yet. Mm. Like, I mostly just add um, and keep making the same stuff. But yeah, I don't I don't do seasonal release dates. I definitely mm. don't do any outerwear. I'm a warm weather person, so I like to make things that can be worn in warm weather, but then yeah, just put a long sleeve shirt under it and yeah. you're good to go for winter. Yeah. Like that's I don't know. That is how I want to make clothes. Yeah. Um I was actually talking to this woman um in San Francisco a few months ago was saying that she used to run a fashion label and now teaches at a school mm-hmm. and saying that she hated being stuck in doing a fall collection, a spring collection, a summer collection. Like she hated the having to release new things and then the way of going about having a rep and someone bring it around to stores and doing um, those like bigger market things. Mm. And I've never even thought about that. I've always wanted to be small. I've always wanted to just sustain my own life or have a few employees. Like, I've never wanted to be a big brand. Yeah. But, I mean, with, like, Instagram and stuff, it means that we don't have to be seasonal because we don't just sell to our own countries. And we don't have to go to stores because we just sell online and stuff like that. Like, that's pretty cool that we don't have to do any of that. Yeah, And And the direct connection of it. Like, yeah, I have a few stores that I do wholesale with. Yeah, but I hate not knowing who has my stuff. Yeah, yeah. I love looking at getting a repeat order and being like, "Oh, mm. I know that name. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that name before. I've shipped to this person." Before. And then you can see how many times they've ordered with you, and you're like, yeah. "Whoa, you've ordered six times." Yeah. Whoa, that's cool. Or, or like they they'll order and then they'll message you on Instagram, yeah. and you'll be like, "Oh, I know your name." Yeah. Like yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love feeling that connection, and it does make me feel like people find more meaning in the, totally. the stuff that yeah. I'm making. As a consumer, I, like, feel really awesome about knowing that I, when I buy stuff from people, small businesses, I'm like, oh, I know that person. Like, Ooh. all of those connections where I'm like, oh, cool. Every time I, like, buy a jumpsuit or whatever, when I can afford to buy something from this person, like, I'm literally, like, helping her pay her bills. I get to put my money from the jo- the day job that I have when I have the flexibility of income to, like, someone that I care about and that I know. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah, real good. I had this conversation when I was back in San Francisco. I hosted a few creative lady dinners which I was, like, really stoked about being able to do. Mm. And I had a conversation with one of my friends very shortly after Trump got elected. And she said that her goal for the year was to grow her business so that she can employ women. And I was like, that's badass. Yeah. Like, you're focusing on something that feels close to you. It's something you can do. Mm -hmm. It's, It's something that you can make a difference with and I think that's that is an interesting way to look at business ownership because I feel like often my thing is I want to make enough money so I can donate yeah and I do that a lot yeah like I do I sell different things for donation or I have specific items that allow me to donate but I loved that idea of I want to grow so I can employ people who need employment yeah specifically women yes (laughs) yeah makes my heart sing yeah 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 
Yeah, and I like, I really like that we have enough of these conversations around, or we have more of these conversations around, like, what is it that you actually want from your business? Because I feel like I worked for a startup in Sydney that was in a tech co-working space, and everything was just about, like, growth, growth, growth. Like, how can we grow? How can we raise more capital? How can we get bigger? And so I felt like I was being fed this narrative of, like, it's only successful if it's huge and you're employing lots of people. But then the more that I looked at my own stuff and the way that I run close knit and the way I see other people around me running their businesses is like, I don't really want to be a big thing. I don't necessarily, for me, it's not probably ever even going to be full time, but like I want, if I were to I'd like were to do it more, I would want to, that would be a goal of like hiring up, hiring femme people. Like that would be, it's not, it's not that like bigger means better. Maybe, maybe the production is that maybe that's where you find value and meaning is in personally doing the production. Like you get to do the part of it that you still like and growing almost necessarily means compromise on something that, you know, maybe you don't want to compromise on. Right. Totally. Yeah. No, I mean, it has, it has been a compromise for me and I am figuring out how to work around it and, it is just basically a process of being thoughtful about it. Mm. I totally never imagined doing it full time. Like yeah. when I transitioned into that back home, I kind of couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe that I was succeeding in that way, but I also couldn't believe that my life was now turning into a different path than I had anticipated in such a way that I just never even imagined. Yeah. I could talk with you guys forever. <laughs> really? You know, that took a nice... Yeah. A nice trip. Yeah, totally. That was, like, one question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's perfect. You've just listened to episode 34 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends to help us reach more people in the fiber arts community. Thanks so much for tuning in. Till next time.